Welcome to MoFo Perspectives, a podcast by Morrison and Forrester, where we share the perspectives of our clients, colleagues, subject matter experts, and lawyers. Welcome to MoForecast, a podcast series where experts from Morrison and Forrester make predictions about enforcement and policy trends in the upcoming Biden administration. Today, we'll be discussing U.S. enforcement priorities and trends regarding Asia. I'm your host, James Kukios, co-head of MOFO's Securities Litigation, Enforcement, and White Collar Practice Group. I'm pleased to be speaking today with Tim Blakely, Chen Zhu, and Dan Levison. Tim is the managing partner of MOFO's Hong Kong office, with nearly 20 years of experience in representing clients in cross-border investigations, enforcement matters, and other contentious proceedings. Chen is a litigation partner based in Hong Kong, focusing on corporate investigations, economic sanctions, and litigation for a broad range of clients. Dan leads MoFo's litigation practice in Singapore and the firm's regional ethics and compliance practice in Asia, where he has over 20 years of experience counseling clients on cross-border compliance issues, investigations, and contentious regulatory and commercial matters. Tim, let's start with you talking about U.S. enforcement priorities and trends regarding Asia. What were those priorities and trends during the Trump administration? Thanks, James. Let me start on the China side of things. And when we start with China, we need to start with the Department of Justice's China Initiative. The China Initiative was announced in November 2018 by then Attorney General Jeff Sessions. A key stated goal of the initiative was for DOJ to identify and prosecute economic espionage and trade secret theft cases involving Chinese parties. In retrospect, it's fair to say that DOJ has done just that under the Trump administration. Last month, DOJ released a report to mark the two-year anniversary of the China Initiative. Among other things, the report confirmed that as part of the initiative, DOJ has charged more than 10 trade secret theft cases with a nexus to China, including five economic espionage cases alleging that the trade secret theft was meant to benefit the Chinese government. Most of these are in the technology sector, including the prominent indictment of a Taiwanese company and a Chinese state-owned company for an alleged conspiracy to commit economic espionage by stealing trade secrets related to DRAM manufacturing. Another key aspect of the China Initiative is the U.S. government's use of various tools to pursue its goals. For example, at the same time it indicted the Taiwanese and Chinese companies in the DRAM case, DOJ filed a civil injunction case to prevent these companies from exporting products to the U.S., and the Commerce Department simultaneously added the Chinese company to the entity list to prevent it from buying U.S. goods and services. Another prominent example of the China-focused enforcement is the prosecution of Huawei, indicted for, among other things, alleged theft of trade secrets and violations of U.S. sanctions against Iran and North Korea. Of course, that prosecution also involved the arrest of Huawei's CFO in Canada and very public, ongoing extradition proceedings that have touched a raw nerve for many here in China. People here continue to monitor that proceeding very closely. Chen, what other observations do you have in the economic sanction space? Yeah, I agree with everything you said, Tim. And, you know, I would say that the same underlying concerns over economic competition and national security also largely drove this Trump administration's very active use of financial sanctions and export controls with respect to China. 
the departments of Treasury, Commerce, and State have all aggressively utilized sanctions and export controls to go after a couple of categories of targets. One is Chinese tech companies based on concerns over national security and data security. Targets that come to mind are Huawei, ZTE, Tencent, which owns WeChat, ByteDance, which owns TikTok, and also some of the major Chinese state-owned telecoms. The impact of these measures have also been felt by a number of American and other non-U.S. suppliers of components to these designated Chinese entities. Another category, there were several rounds of designations against individuals and entities in Xinjiang, the western part of China, and these were driven by the U.S. government's concerns over surveillance and forced labor. These designations have severely impacted textile and agricultural supply chains for a lot of multinationals and some technology companies. And we've also seen round after round of designations against senior officials deemed by the U.S. government to have undermined Hong Kong's autonomy and democracy. And in fact, a few days from now, on December 13, the Treasury Department is set to announce a list of foreign financial institutions that could be derivatively sanctioned for providing banking services to officials targeted by those Hong Kong sanctions. Treasury is well aware that its actions in this regard could have big implications for the global financial sector, and so this is definitely a space that we are watching closely. I'll just add that that there's also a new so-called Pentagon list, which was created by the Defense Department this summer. It currently has a list of 35 companies in some strategic sectors, such as telecom, aerospace, infrastructure. And these are companies that the Pentagon deems to have been affiliated with the Chinese military. And so in November, the Trump administration operationalized the Pentagon list with a new executive order that restricts U.S. investors from buying any publicly traded securities of companies on that list. This Pentagon list will probably keep growing. Dan, what are your thoughts on the Japan and Southeast Asia front? Thanks, Chen. For the last four years, U.S. enforcement with respect to the rest of the region certainly has been oriented around the geopolitical dynamics arising out of the relationship with China. At the same time, the Trump administration's America First agenda played out with a move away from multilateralism, in particular, for example, withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, as well as less of a reliance on historically strong alliances in the region. Similarly, in some areas on the enforcement front, there was a turning inwards. For example, with respect to antitrust enforcement, there was a major domestic shift, in particular in contrast to historic trends in criminal cartel enforcement. There, for the last 20 years, the DOJ's antitrust division had been focusing on pursuing multinational corporations in large international cartel matters, many of which involved companies based in this region or otherwise addressed conduct that took place here. In some years, there were more than 40 criminal cases brought against corporations and yearly fines averaging over a billion dollars. But this contrasts to more recent years, where a much smaller number of corporate criminal cartel cases have been brought with annual fines of a few hundred million. This trend, though, has not been consistent across enforcement areas. While some had predicted that FCPA enforcement would decline under the Trump administration, to the contrary, the last few years have seen some of the largest fines ever imposed in foreign bribery cases. And what is remarkable about these prosecutions is the extent to which they relied on extensive cross-border cooperation, in particular with law enforcement agencies in this region. With respect to sanctions, the snapback of Iran's sanctions in 2018 
definitely had an impact on companies doing business and finance and transportation hubs like Singapore. And we have seen several sanctions enforcement actions relating to both Iran and North Korea involving Singapore-based companies. Thanks very much for that review of the Trump administration. But let's now turn to the future. Tim, starting with you again, what are your predictions about U.S. enforcement priorities and trends regarding Asia under the new administration? Well, with respect to China, it seems clear that China will remain an enforcement focus going forward. DOJ's recent report on the China Initiative revealed that the FBI opens a brand new China-related counterintelligence case every 10 hours. And that report promised that those efforts will continue. President Biden gave an interview to the New York Times last week saying that, with respect to China, he would pursue policies that, among other things, address China's theft of intellectual property. So it seems likely that the focus on the issues underlying the China initiative will continue in the new administration. How about on the sanctions front, Chen? So on the sanctions and export controls front, the Biden administration most likely will not walk back any of the measures that the previous administration put in place. U.S.-China tensions and competition have arrived at a new stage, and there's a strong bipartisan pressure to be so, quote unquote, tough on China. However, the Biden administration will likely use new unilateral designations in a more restrained way, as Biden has indicated that he will seek more multilateral coordination with U.S. allies. Another development to watch is the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. This is a bill that just passed Congress and is likely to be signed into law this month. It requires foreign companies listed in the U.S. to comply with audit inspection requirements under Sarbanes-Oxley, even if their home jurisdictions have state secrecy laws that prohibit the export of audit papers. And the biggest impact of this law will be felt by more than 200 Chinese and Hong Kong companies currently listed in the U.S. and who have not opened up their audits for review by the U.S. Accounting Oversight Board. And once this law is enacted, those companies will have three years to comply or they'll face delisting. Dan? Thanks, Chen. Turning to the rest of Asia, with an expected return of foreign policy experts and career diplomats and historically strong alliances in the Biden administration, and along with a greater degree of trust among law enforcement agencies across borders, we anticipate that the trend towards greater international cooperation and enforcement actions will continue to increase across enforcement areas, both through multilateral organizations as well as through bilateral relationships. There have been several recent developments in this area that we expect will continue this trend. For example, on the antitrust front, in June of this year, the International Competition Network, or ICN, released its guidance on enhancing cross-border leniency cooperation. And just last month, the DOJ and the Korean Prosecution Service signed an MOU to enhance cooperation between the two agencies. With respect to sanctions, a Biden administration return to the Iran nuclear deal may result in an easing of sanctions with an impact on major financial and transportation hubs in the region. Very interesting how some things are going to actually stay relatively the same, given the big difference between Trump and Biden during the presidential election. And of course, a few other things will change. But recognizing what you guys have predicted as being the enforcement priorities and trends going forward, what kind of advice would you give to companies? to help them prepare for enforcement going forward? Well, with regards to China, we've been alerting clients to the development of China's own sanctions and export controls regime, as well as the tightening of China's 
blocking statutes that restrict the export of evidentiary materials to assist uh, civil or criminal proceedings abroad. And so these developments stand to increase the risks and costs of multinationals seeking to comply, for example, with U.S. long-arm jurisdiction. To the extent the Chinese authorities see companies' compliance with U.S. extraterritorial actions to be at the cost of Chinese interests, for example, sharing information with U.S. authorities that lead to the arrest of senior Chinese executives or that lead to trade sanctions or restrictions on Chinese companies, there is now a risk of countermeasures under these new Chinese sanctions regimes. And so we've been advising clients on ways to balance those competing risks. Dan? Thanks, Chen. The evolving landscape more than ever requires that companies not lose sight of the importance of a robust compliance program. We have seen all of the major enforcement agencies emphasizing compliance expectations for corporations over the last several years. In 2018, OFAC announced its framework for compliance commitments and sanctions cases, and the DOJ Antitrust Division also announced a major change to allow companies an alternative way to avoid prosecution by permitting prosecutors to consider the effectiveness of a company's compliance program, even if a company wasn't the first to come forward to report an antitrust violation. The DOJ Criminal Division also updated its guidance on the evaluation of corporate compliance programs in June 2020, and the DOJ and SEC restated the importance of corporate compliance programs in their second edition of the FCPA Resource Guide also this year. This trend, combined with the even greater cross-border cooperation in law enforcement, means that corporate compliance is going to continue to be a necessary focus for companies in the region. Great advice. Thanks, Chen and Dan. Well, this is the end of our Mill Forecast episode on U.S. enforcement priorities and trends regarding Asia and the upcoming Biden administration. Once again, I'm your host, James Kukios, speaking with Tim Blakely, Chen Zhu, and Dan Levison. If you liked today's episode, please visit the MoFo website and join us for additional installments of the Mill Forecast series, covering predictions for enforcement and policy trends in other areas of the law. Thanks for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe to the MoFo Perspectives podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like more information on this topic, please visit mofo.com slash podcasts. Again, that's mofo, M-O-F-O dot com slash podcasts.